Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am excited to share this episode with you as it is a part two of Rachel's interview. And I know that after our last interview, which was a few weeks ago, there was a lot of wondering more of her story. So she said yes to interviewing a second time and actually sharing a little bit more of her her story. And I am so excited to share this with you. And before we dive in, just a reminder of my upcoming in-body experience that I am co-facilitating with three other amazing women, September 26th, 22nd through the 25th. And that will be in Springdale, Utah. And guess what? Something actually really... Man, when you listen to spirit and you're, you're tuning in and always kind of asking how things get to be a little different, it's always funny and interesting the things that show up. So this retreat experience is converting to a donation based. And so we are tuning in and trusting the divine and trusting all of you. And so we are, you get to go through and do a few steps because we will have a lot of people applying and we only have room for 13 people. There is a questionnaire to go through and a few steps to, to do. And then if you are selected, then you get to tune in and check in with you and your connection to the divine. And you get to pay what feels in alignment for you. Some people, it may you know, be a lot less than others. And that is okay. We are trusting this experience and trusting this opportunity to have a new relationship with money and reciprocity. So if you are wanting to attend and join us, head over to my website, amandajoyloveland.com forward slash inbody. That's I-N-B-O-D-Y. That's amandajoyloveland.com forward slash I-N-B-O-D-Y. And just follow the steps through the website. And yeah, we would love, love, love to have you. This is going to be a really, really beautiful experience. So with all of that being said, let's dive into this interview with Rachel Wheeler. I had my, I've never done an episode like that where we just kind of, even though I've been wanting to, because you're not the only one that has, everybody that I talk to has something. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I thought it was just beautiful, A, that you allowed yourself to be seen in that space and just had the courage to lean in. So again, I just want to thank you for that. Um, and on top of that, I, I really feel like by you doing that, it gives others um, permission to just be seen. And that's what I was doing at my reel about this morning is it's, you know, we get into such a state of being needing to be perfect and have shit together all the time. And it's like, nobody does. I don't care who you are. Um, anyway, so thank you for that. And I was listening to it on the way down with my husband, we headed down South and he's like, I really want to know more about her. And I'm like, you know, I was thinking about doing a part two. So when he said that, that's where I'm like, all right, I need to reach out. Cause that was his thing. It's like, I want to know more about her story. Cause it sounds like she's got quite a story. So thank cool. you for <laughs> agreeing to do a part two. So I know on our last episode, you kind of touched on a few things with your, with your story, but you were, were you raised in Utah? Were you in Idaho? Yeah. You were in Utah. Raised in Utah. Mm-hmm. Born and raised Mormon. Yeah. How was that? Yeah, it was good overall. I mean, I still, to this day, primary songs and hymns run through my mind all the time to give me little messages of comfort and things like that. Yeah. Um, I, I loved the culture. I had an amazing childhood. My parents were very, very strict, but also very consistent. And my mom was pretty attentive overall. Um, she kind of spoiled me cause I'm kind of like a little version of her at the side that she loved. <laughs> so, so I was spoiled. Um, and yeah, my mom was absolutely amazing. I mean, she would get down on the floor from the time we were little tiny and just be playing with us, teaching us how to color and draw. And she would be out playing sports with us and teaching us just all different skills. So my siblings and I were very well-rounded and very talented, very creative. Mm, I love that. So you, were you married later on in the church? Yeah. So, um, I grew up in the church and then I graduated high school and went off to college, but things kind of fell apart. I went, I actually went off to college on a full ride scholarship, throwing the javelin. Oh, sweet. And, um, I, I got the opportunity 
it's funny because my older sister, she would do things and I just admired her. And so I would be like, Oh, I want to try that too. Just as an endearing thing, but she hated it every time. And at one point during high school, she's like, stop copying me because I would go and try something that she loved to do. And I was just really, really good at anything I did. So so when I was 13, um, she joined the track team. So I'm like, Oh, that sounds like fun. Maybe I could try something. And, um, I saw the javelin and I went out and I tried everything at least once, but the javelin, I threw it and it spun over itself. Cause I didn't know what I was doing, but I was two feet away from qualifying for state throwing it that first time. Wow. And, and then three short weeks later, I think I was 14, 13 or 14. Um, I heard that there was the junior Olympics happening in Illinois and my track coach is like, we're going to fly you out. You're going to the junior Olympics. <laughs> so I learned cool. how to throw it straight now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I ended up winning a gold medal in the junior Olympics. That's amazing. Uh, thanks. And then, um, but anyway, so I grew up LDS, but I had moved to a new place during this thir- 12 and 13 year and I had a lot of bullying because I was no longer known by the group of friends that I had before. Mm -hmm. And so I became really, really shy. Um, I was having bullying from all different um, sources, like on the bus at school, all different groups of boys were bullying me. So um, I became extremely shy. I wasn't that same happy-go-lucky, outgoing, silly, creative, whatever. I just allowed myself to be before that. Um, Anyway, um, I I learned that through puberty that I was kind of terrified of men. Um, like when the boys started having their voices change, all of a sudden I found myself extremely intimidated Mm. and felt like the, like, I just stayed away from them. I was scared to death of men in general. And that definitely, I think the whole puberty transition plus that triggered something within me that I didn't know was there. So, um, I didn't really date in high school at all, but then when I was 18 and I started well, 17 and started attending college. Then guys started asking me out. Well, I turned 18 in October, just a couple months later. And so I started going out on little dates here and there. And then I, my parents moved to Colorado right after I graduated high school at 17. And so I went back for my full ride scholarship at UVU. It was UVSC then, but mm-hmm. UVU. And within two and a half months, things just completely fell apart. Everything was going wrong. Um, Yeah, I lost my wallet. I missed a major test and a couple other things that made me lose my scholarship. No, no, no. Sorry, I I did that full year. And then it was the following year that I went back and things fell apart. Hmm. I might be remembering details wrong. But um, my parents started doing foster nanny during that time. And I was their full-time foster nanny for a while. And then I was going to school off and on and, and working at the rise babysitting and things like that off and on. So, um, at age 19, 20 and 21, I think I was um, either attending college online or going to a community college in person there. And, um, also taking care of my, my parents, foster kids. Mm. And I wanted to serve a mission at 21. So I filled out all the paperwork and I was gung ho. I mean, at age 13, because of the bullying, I started praying like every morning and every night and studying my scriptures every morning and really trying to get to know God and what his purpose was for me. And um, so I had been doing that the whole time till 22. Whenever those little seminary things came around, it was like, I have read my scriptures for 30 days. I've read my scriptures for 90 days, you know, 120 days. Every time I just would have my parents sign it because it was like, no questions asked. You know, that was my lifeline Yeah, to make sure that I could feel connected to God and, and kind of hear his voice to be able to help or see if I saw a need for service or being able to see people for who they truly were. That was the gifts that I was honing in on for all those years. Um, and also learning wisdom mm. through the scriptures and through being connected. Um, anyway, so yeah, um, I was wanting to serve a mission because that was all me. I had been 
like a full-time missionary, the way that I was living my standards and everything for many years by then. And any chance I got, I did try to share the Book of Mormon and things like that with other people. So I filled out all the application, did my doctor appointment, even did pictures for my mission, and then was going to send it in. But I prayed about it. And the same answer kept coming that marriage was next and motherhood was next. And that was my mission. So be patient a little longer is the answer I received. And mm. so I never sent it in. <laughs> and, um, and, but I also tried to move out and just go get roommates. And um, my parents, my dad had been laid off from Nobel after so many years of working because he didn't have a bachelor's degree. And so they were really struggling financially. And so they were having me kind of take care of the foster kids while they tried to get ahead a little bit because they were in major debt. And so they were like, Rachel, we really need, they would talk me out of it every time I tried to leave at mm. age 20 and 21. So I stayed there. <laughs> oh, that had to be hard. Yeah. And, and then I, I was dating quite a bit um, off and on and. I ended up meeting Dan, the one that I was married to for 18 years when I was 20. And then we started dating at the beginning of the next year and ended up getting married within six months of knowing each other. Mm -hmm. Married in the temple and then did the Mormon thing for a while. Yeah. So yeah, very active LDS. I mean, I raised my kids the same way, um, meaning we were very active. And we still are actually, I still go to church with them all the time and they go to all the activities and stuff like that. But the cool thing is, is that Dan from the beginning of our marriage kind of questioned why I did things and mm -hmm. that helped me to not just do things because my parents did them or out of tradition or this is just the right thing. Yeah. So we both have raised them in a way that's very free will. <laughs> like, well, that's good. I think outside the box, you know, explore whatever you need to explore. And um, my emphasis for my kids is um, I don't just make sure that your peace is intact. If there's something that's robbing you of your peace, then mm -hmm. obviously don't go toward that so much. <laughs> yeah. Did you say they're still active LDS? Did I catch oh, yeah. that? Are you? Yeah. And, and I, Am I? I pretty much go when I want, but uh -huh. I'm pretty active still. Yeah. Um, I the ward where I kind of got kicked out is night and day difference from the ward that I actually moved into. Yeah. I went this first Sunday to the new ward, and the comments that were made in Sunday school, I'm like, these people are real and raw, and they're not afraid to make mistakes. Oh. And I thought this is the ward. This is an awesome group of people. Yeah, that's so refreshing. Raw. And then I went back to their ward yesterday my, where my kids are and the boundaries, they just live down the road, by the way. And uh, I was like, uh, <laughs> I, have to, I have to, okay, do I have anything to contribute here? Do I have anything to receive here? Yeah. And this, the spirit was just like, I mean, it's your choice because there've been so many times where I've been so triggered at their ward that I've just like gone home and it's been a release. Like I ball. Yeah. Or halfway through, I start bawling because there's mm. so much of it's too much of the programming. It's mm -hmm. just too much. It is a lot. And, but at the very, very end of yesterday's Sunday school lesson, I stuck with it. And at the very end, I was actually able to make a comment. And there was another woman that made a comment, and I totally got the chills. I'm like, yes, Divine Feminine coming right in. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they were focusing on how. You, um, 18 year old boys need to be serving missions and how can we encourage them to do that? <clears throat> and she came right in and she said, everyone's got their own path and we need to, you know, honor that somewhat. She said that. And I was like, yes, thank you. <laughs> like, we need the balance. It's not just because yeah. my 18 year old son was in there and he's not in a mental state to be able to go Servant mission. I'm like, maybe in a year, if you feel up to it and you really feel motivated, then a service mission might right. be But it's a lot. You have to know why you're doing it. It's mm -hmm. not an easy thing. Yeah. Be really strong in the work that you're doing to get out there and do it. So, so in our last interview, you had mentioned that you kind of, you pretty much got kicked out. So I, 
yeah. because of that, that story that you shared with, with you just moving through some of those pieces within you and you're still choosing to go to church. Yes. Because there was a point where I was bawling out of grief, um, for all that I had lost, just the ideal. I mean, the marriage was absolutely miserable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, I had lost the marriage and the ideal family unit and, you know, and also the community. I, I thought I had lost the community and yeah. religion, everything that my parents and grandparents, you know, this is the right way. This is the right way. This is the right way. So I was just grieving and God or the Holy Spirit came right in and said, Rachel, please stay. You're needed for, for the changes that need to be made. Yeah. <laughs> Your presence is needed by a lot of people. And uh, through falling, I said, I will as much as I can. How's that been? So for months, it was really hard. Like I said, I would start crying like halfway through or right after church, I would just cry. And I, I allowed myself to just grieve and it's much better now because the stronger I get in who I am without that, that does not identify me. Um, then the easier it is to just go there and shine my light and to be pure love for everyone. Yeah. What was the, you said you would grieve. What were you grieving? I was grieving the loss of everything. And like I said, this is a very, very strong generational thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the right way you follow the prophet. You do this, you do that. And also I feel like I had it even more strongly because in my very, very early childhood years, I had my biological father's influence over my mother, um, who is, who has always been pretty extreme fundamentalist mindset. So. So I think that really affected me more than, more than I realized Yeah, from the womb. Oh, absolutely. I know there's, I've had conversations with a decent amount of people that they have left or had some sort of a, this is not, this doesn't resonate with me any longer, but then they are told to stay or they choose to stay for whatever reason. So it's always fascinating um, why people choose to stay in. And there is that, I remember going through a phase in my life where you do miss the community, you miss some aspects of it. And I wondered, I actually had a conversation with a beautiful friend of mine that she's like, yeah, I go to relief society every once in a while. And I'm like, really? You still step into that? She goes, yeah, it's just community. I mean, it's just like any kind of a, if we kind of detach from everything that's coming out of their mouths has to be my ultimate truth, because that's where we once were. Right. Yeah. And let it just be connection and just be an experience. She's like, it, it can actually be quite beautiful. Yeah, it really can. There's so, so much beauty and light to it. And, you know, I realized that for a lot of years, just because of my ex-husband's influence, which I'm forever grateful for, I mean, he seriously raised me in all the ways that I wasn't raised <laughs> for eight years. And <clears throat> it's been 16 plus years that I've been unlearning and unprogramming. And so it's been a much longer process that I've been less, um, almost like dependent on. I don't, I don't take things so seriously is, is what I'm saying. Um, but I do try to take the treasures and the truth wherever I can. I should be just as excited to go to the LDS church as I am to learn about all these different religions that I've been more understanding lately. And uh, I love truth. Yeah. It doesn't matter the resource. Well, and there is truth in all things. And I find it, um, I actually just did another interview that I'm not sure if I'm going to drop his before yours. I'm still sitting with that right now. It's going to drop this week, but we, he's someone that, um, has done a deep dive into the scriptures and more like the accurate translation, which, you know, things like the sermon on the Mount, right. Where be therefore perfect. And it's like, well, perfect actually was mistranslated. It's whole. And so it's just interesting the, you know, there's that common saying that don't throw the baby out with the bathwater or God, God and Jesus aren't church, you know, they're separate from it. And when we start to kind of deconstruct those pieces of, because it is ingrained within Mormonism, that it's the only true church out there that has the complete, you know, whatever on this earth. And if we step out of that programming, can, can you, I guess this is like a rhetorical question for 
the audience? Can you step into a situation like that and still learn things, take the parts that resonate and leave the rest aside? Because there is truth and beauty in all things, whether it's the Mormon church, Catholics, Jews, you know, wherever it is, there's truth and beauty in all things. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about it recently, you know, as I've talked to my LDS friends, I still have a lot of LDS friends. My best friend is very much in it, but she gets a lot more angry about certain things that are said over the pulpit than I do. Hmm. Um, you know, she's like, so-and-so said this and, and like, yeah, I'm, I'm a little more of a, I've learned to be an observer more (laughs) and just kind of be entertained by it in a way. Um, but also have pure love because, you know, everybody has programming. I have plenty of it left to myself and I still judge just like everybody else as well. So um, we can, we can let that go. Um, what I was thinking is I'm kind of, have always been a rebel of when things are too imbalanced one way or too extreme in one way. I will, cause I'm kind of like living water. I'll bring in the balance wherever there's imbalance. That's my natural gift and my natural way. And so as I was sitting in, in listening to actually, I think it was president, he's got to be the mission president that was making this long. I mean, he's perfectly still and perfectly calm and perfectly confident in the way that he expresses himself. And I thought, oh my goodness, that is to me, as I sat in that word over there, it represented the divine masculine. And what I'm bringing in is the divine feminine. And that's why God wants me to stay in there too, Mm -hmm. because it's just as important. It'll, it'll balance out things over time. And I think there's plenty of women that are filling and boiling up within them as well and are speaking up. Yeah. There's, there's little changes being made. Um, but I think we've been so confident in what we've had for so many really centuries, but um, in the LDS church, you know, hundreds of years <clears throat> that we just don't question it. And I've had to learn to discern how do I feel truth? How do I understand truth? And for a lot of my life, with the very regimented, extreme discipline that I displayed in every area of life, that's why I started developing talents, a lot of different ones when I was really young. That was the divine masculine stepping in. I felt the spirit. I felt that warmth, that burning within my heart so often. And I felt the direction of the spirit, do this, do that. And, and so I still incorporated that as I started raising my kids, but I was so sleep deprived and so burnt out all the time that that I felt like that was my lifeline, studying my scriptures with my kids, doing family night, praying, And doing those core things, teaching them how to work in the morning, doing their chores, um, going to the park in the afternoon, reading to them a lot and and making them good food and things like that. I was still practicing self-discipline, but I felt like such a failure because there was no, I couldn't feel spirit a lot of the time because severe postpartum depression and severe sleep exhaustion. So I felt very alone. I call that 14 years my Gethsemane or my Mm -hmm. dark night of the soul. And after so long of that, my uncle calls these years of child raising, he calls them the pressure cooker years. Mm. I think after 16 or 17 years of that, I just completely blew a gasket. And I said, I've been doing all these things, but I'm not happy and I'm not at peace. And Mm. there's got to be something more to it. There came a point where I started just letting go of certain things, pressuring myself to do things just right all the time. And um, that's when I, it was after my total nervous breakdown slash rebirth that I started just stepping into the void and saying, it's okay. I can learn to be comfortable in the cold and the dark and I can mm-hmm. breathe deeply. And interestingly, I didn't know this about myself before, but I love being in cold water as often as I possibly can going swimming, walking in streams to waterfalls and, and splashing in puddles when it's raining. That is my happy place. Mm. And I do feel more happy and more at peace overall than I ever did when I was doing everything just right. And so to feel the contrast of that, that old way that is also very important. The LDS church does things by a certain rule book Mm -hmm. and that is the divine masculine. 
And so they have it down very strongly. And that's why when a lot of people listen to the speakers and everything, that burning, that warmth, that, that feeling of this is consistent, this is stable is right there. And so it's important for us now to bring in also the divine feminine. And that is to me, the gathering of Israel or the union that's, mm-hmm. that's starting to take place. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because my little brother, it was adopted. I was his first mom. He still considers me a mother figure. He calls me whenever he's struggling. He's in his early twenties. Um, he was checking out the Catholic church and was really drawn to it more recently. He's like, I'm going to get baptized in the Catholic church. And I thought, Huh, I wonder why he's drawn to that. And I thought, you know, they emphasize grace a lot more than our church. Mm. And that's probably what he's needing at this point in his life. After being raised by our parents, who are very, very strict and very, again, divine masculine. You do it this way, you do it this way. This is the right way. Right. This and this and this, and you'll be fine. You know, I how do I want to phrase this? I as I'm listening to you. And I recently had a conversation with another woman who went through something similar to where she was doing all the things she was supposed to do. Right. And, and within that religion, it is taught that when you do these things, you will be blessed when you do the, you know, by the, by the book kind of things, family home evening scriptures, prayers, you know, um, you will be blessed. And, and we had an interesting conversation about that because it's simply not true. But there is what I feel, this is my Amanda's take on this, is that it creates a false sense of safety that we think that if we do these things or we're taught that if we do these things that we will be protected, we will be safe, we will be blessed. And the truth is, is, is that's, that's anywhere in the world. We have these things that we don't do because, or we do do because they give us a false sense of safety. And yet it's always that I love some of the things that you're sharing about with asking, how do you understand spirit? How do you discern for you, Rachel, for you, not from outside of you, but for you. And even that safety piece is something that if everything was stripped away from any of us, would we be so in knowing who we are that we could still feel safe within ourselves if everything was gone? Yes. And yeah. Yeah. And that's where the divine feminine comes in. When that one made that comment yesterday, because it was all one way, one way, one way. And then the mission president was saying his piece. And then she came in and made her comment and it was chills. There's the divine feminine, the the recognition of truth there. And you're, you're totally right in that. I talk to my 18 year old son all the time. I said, you're not really living. If you think you depend on this and that, Mm -hmm. you know, got this false sense of security and that's the main thing with my ex-husband and the way that he does things. He had this set way of being with me as well. Like I was just easygoing and I would do whatever. I was a meek and a subservient wife. And the moment that I started approaching him in a very gentle way, again, very filtered and telling him when you say this, or when you act like this, I feel this way and that way and that way the rug was pulled out from under him and he started lashing out like crazy and Mm. and becoming not only mentally abusive but physically abusive and and so that's the problem is that eventually the rug will be pulled out from under each of us and and when I hear people speak especially men in the church that are so confident so perfectly like wow they haven't had that happen yet yeah are all of our come to Jesus moments of like false truths and what real truth is. And I, when you speak to the feminine, the masculine and my, in my experience and what I believe to be very true is that the feminine, the masculine actually lives within each of us. You know, you could look at the structure of the body or the things like the blood pumping and the, like the actual structure of the physical body is more of the masculine energy, the flow of the blood pumping, the flow of the breath moving, the flow within the container is more that feminine energy. And that's what is alive within each of us. Cause we often think because I'm a woman, then I only get to have this divine feminine. And it's like, well, that in my belief and my knowing that's not true, we get both the feminine and the, and the masculine within each of us. And so I think it's, it is, there is an imbalance in a lot of ways and a lot of pieces that we're all trying to figure out, which I think mm-hmm. is really, really beautiful to bring more balance into all things, even within religion would be quite refreshing. Yeah, it really would. Yeah, you're right. 
Um, it's interesting too, though, but I'm seeing the energetic representation of that very divided with men and women, in, at least in that ward yesterday when I was yeah. But, but yeah, um, I know we've got it. I mean, obviously we're trying to create that balance within ourselves. Um, I was just thinking back to when I was 13 and I went through puberty, mm-hmm. I had already taken on a very masculine um, <clears throat> representation of myself from the age of first grade, because to me, boys were tough and mm-hmm. they were vulnerable and I had grown to hate my own vulnerability. Mm. So that's when I think I formed that side of me that was extremely athletic, like from the very beginning, I went out and to a brand new school in first grade and went out and all the boys were like, she can't play. She's a girl. We were still in the the eighties. So I go out to the baseball field and I go to hit it and I swing and and miss the first time. And the second time I hit it way out there and they're like, whoa, (laughs) okay, she can play. Uh So, um, that's so cute. So yeah, I, I looked at myself on a video when I was 12 years old and watched the way I walk. And I have this super short hair like I do now, actually. But obviously, I've I've embraced my feminine side a lot more. Um, But just talking and walking. And I really did have like my first crush on a girl. And I I wished to be a boy, especially when I was going through puberty. Yeah. I I had such anger toward, for some reason, the feminine within me that had been hurt so badly from early childhood. Um, that I had like the worst menstrual cramps, like Mm -hmm. the worst. I mean, I would be shaking and going into shock and throwing up and everything like that. And I Mm -hmm. think a lot of that was psychological stuff that I hadn't worked through. Oh, I bet. I bet. So did you, I think you mentioned that you were a military wife, right? Yeah. So did you move around a lot? Every two years and half the time it was out of state. Oh, where like and out of out of the United States ever or all within no the United just States? all within I mean I I knew that my my lifeline would be being able to travel to family so I did when my kids were younger I would go every four months out of state to go visit family just so yeah. I could feel connected and get a break well I can I can imagine moving that often having religion having the Mormon Church was a lifeline because yeah. it's like yeah you always knew your community even if it was new you always knew you had somewhere to go. Yeah, it was. Although I had plenty of interesting experiences, good and bad. In the I church. bet. <laughs> because Dan and I have always been outside of the box thinkers. So. Yeah. So you probably ruffled some feathers depending on which ward you went into. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but that yeah, is- that that had to be a gift. I know I moved a little bit when I was younger and it was a gift to know, okay, I have I know where my community is, you know, it's within the walls of this Mormon Mormon church and I would be welcomed. And I was really grateful for that. And it was nice too, to have an experience outside of Utah. I mean, one of my first experiences was in Germany. Actually, that's not true. It was in Virginia, but Germany, you know, and having, because we would go to the military ward out there because it was English speaking, even though my, my ex, my husband at the time, he wasn't, he was, it wasn't a military thing. He was German. So it was nice to be able to step into that and be like, oh my gosh, there's people from all over and everybody's a lot more open-minded. And anyway, it was, I loved it. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I I really loved it. So where, where you're at today is that from everything that I'm hearing, the things that you have gone through have really ultimately taught you more about you, Mm -hmm. how to hear your own voice with God and you're choosing still to go. Yeah. 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 Because there's, there's too much of good stuff. Like I, I just, it seriously, it formed a lot of who I am. I mean, reading the book of Mormon and I didn't listen a lot of the time. As a matter of fact, when I was in Sunday school, when I was 13, 14, 15, I would be very participative because I was like really deeply pondering as I studied my scriptures and, and praying for the spirit to guide me to understand what it meant and how I can apply it. And so there were so many um, more more deep and more whole understandings that came as a result of that. And so I was at that age, I was very participative. But since then, it seems like they're most the majority of the classes that I attend are, are stuck in that same. Wow, they're learn, they're not even to where I was at ages fifteen, sixteen, um, because I think my that is my main gift is 
to understand, I have an understanding spirit. That's kind of a superpower. Like, mm-hmm. and you have to experience a lot of different things to be able to understand mm-hmm. a lot of, but just my ability to communicate with, to hear God's voice and to communicate with him and understanding how that works. So I've always been into symbolism and metaphors and things like that. And I've always just pondered on those things deeply. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I eat it up all the time. So that's it's beautiful. Um, when they ask questions nowadays, and I'm like, that's a question they asked when I was 13 years old. And I explained like what I had learned from the scriptures. And it feels like they're stuck in a lot of ways because <laughs> I feel like the majority of them haven't really um, spent. I don't know. I, it feels like my pride gets in the way. But in this way, I was very, very gifted. And and it kind of bugs me that they're so stuck in the same. It's like, oh, we need to learn this. And I'm like, women, through being mothers, you already know this. And you have so much more insight. Yeah. So I'm happy when the women generally speak up because yeah. there's so much they can offer. And it's so funny that so many of the men, especially the leaders that have been leaders for a long time, are very, very confident. And the women are just like more shaking their voices and more. Yeah. We own our authority. And that's probably why I'm here. And it, maybe when I learned her, because <laughs> I'm still working on that, you know, that's a brand new mm-hmm. thing for me to even think. But maybe when I set the example, then others will start following suit. I don't know. I think that's beautiful. I, I have to ask, I'm curious why you reached out to do a podcast about leaving religion if you're still choosing in. I mean, I'm not a member and it it's like, I am a member. It's the exact same thing. It's funny because these are parallel things that happened to me at the same time. I got divorced. I'm not married to him. Yeah. But him and my children are still my family unit. Yeah. So I'm not married to the church, but for a long time, I've been doing things my own way. I hate being assigned somebody to serve. It's like, no, I'm going to go by the spirit and people are going to be drawn to me and I'm going to be drawn to them. Yeah. So I've always been kind of a rebel of the way things are done. And that's mm-hmm. probably why the marriage was so hard too, because he's very much that way. Yeah, <laughs> Things have to be done a certain way. Yeah. I think it's always fascinating. I had another podcast interview a while ago where she's like, I don't identify as Mormon. And yet she went to church every Sunday. In fact, I believe she had her, she wore garments. She did all the things that she's like, but I don't identify as being a Mormon. Mm-hmm. And it was like, my brain was like, I don't Kira, I don't understand that. Like, I don't, like you're doing all the things as if you are Mormon and yet you're saying you are not Mormon. So it is just a different way of being with it, which I think is beautiful when you find what works for you and how you want to navigate life with religion, without religion, with spirituality, without spirituality. I think it's quite beautiful when you listen to your, your voice, your inner knowing, and then you act upon that, even if it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it makes perfect sense to me now. I I love the temple, but I have temple sacred experiences all the time, wherever mm-hmm. I am. So yeah. wherever you stand, you can stand in holy places. Yeah. So I don't love that they emphasize so much and create this almost total dependence on the brick and mortar and the, the way of you need to study your scriptures. There's all kinds of resources that you can study, all kinds of good books and and different religions and different cultures and documentaries and everything. Yeah. To understand truth more fully. Right. It's kind of silly to say you must do it. You must only do this every single day. Mm -hmm. So that part I rebel against a lot, but yeah. But I'm there to do that. Another one of the things that I. I've always been told you're doing that wrong. Like if somebody is classically trained, for example, in piano or in singing, I tend to do things almost opposite. And what I'm realizing is that I I'm kind of a lot of the embodiment of the divine feminine. That's probably why I trigger a lot of people. Yeah. I, I am the undoing of all the, all the BS. Hmm. <laughs> and so so yeah, it's interesting how I've been being taught the the different motions and energy, just the spiraling up and down and, and the unscrewing. Um, I think it was a few months ago, I was unscrewing something. I'm like, oh, this is the divine feminine, the unscrewing of, and then you put it back together in a more 
complete way. And then you're screwed in. That's the divine masculine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Well, is there anything else about your story you would love to share? Um, yeah, actually. Um, I was pregnant with my second baby and (laughs) this is my, all of my friends and family know about this, but, um, he was pondering and searching for himself. And honestly, he's not the type to like do that, to like inquire of God. He has, he has a genius mind, brilliant mind. He solves problems in his mind fast. Mm -hmm. He's very um, independent that way. And so I was surprised to find that he was saying, okay, how can we guard our, our boys from being trapped in the addictions such as pornography that are mm-hmm. out there in the world. Mm-hmm. And he was thinking about that and he started just scrolling online and found this group called naked and not afraid. Oh, interesting. And so he went on the website and started reading. He's like, Adam and Eve, this and this. And he came to me with it after he had studied a lot and read a lot of the reviews of the people who had chosen to implement this, this open door, open discussion, open-minded, you know, thing within their family. <clears throat> and he said, you know, all the families that wrote on there, he said, you know, my teenage daughter, we've, we've grown up this way. We keep the doors open. If we're showering, whatever, it's not a big deal. Come in and say, Oh, ask a question, go right out. There's no shame involved. There's no obsession. Yeah. It's just a normal thing. And um, they were saying that like their teenage daughters, they didn't worry about them at all because they honored their bodies enough that they didn't even, I mean, they wore oversized t-shirts and jeans. That's how my daughters are. My teenage daughters, they're very much that way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how they feel comfortable and they are very strong and confident in their body image. There is no body shame. I mean, they mm-hmm. know that they're beautiful and they hold it sacred as well. And, and so Dan is like, I want this kind of result. And it, because it basically erases the shame and brings in a healthy view of our bodies. Yeah. And, and it's that shame cycle, which he had learned because he had done a lot of studying about why pornography can have such a hold on people. And so he started talking to me about this and my programming went right in and I started just, no, this is so wrong. Let me find what the prophets have said about it and the scriptures and everything. And I couldn't find anything. And not only that, but I immediately realized because I do have a very sensitive heart. Um, uh, When he was speaking to me about this, I felt peace. And when I was arguing against him, I felt contention. Mm. And that was probably the first time in our marriage where it wasn't the opposite because <laughs> I felt peace when I was speaking truth, if I was standing up to him when he was being contentious. Um, <clears throat> and so I thought, okay, there's something to this. And so I, we both decided to pray and fast about this decision for our family where we would have just open communication about everything and basically be raised exact opposite the way that I was raised. And we both attended the temple about three weeks after really like we were studying our scriptures together. We were praying every day. We were asking the Lord, is this the right way to raise our family? And we went to the temple together and we knelt around the altar to do the group prayer. And the the person praying said, if there are any um, questions or, or needs that are needing to be answered or met. Um, that they will be, it was a lot more eloquent than that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And right at that moment, later on, we were talking about it, but both of us received a definite witness that yes, what you've been inquiring of me is the right way for your family. And we looked at each other after the prayer, like, Whoa, (laughs) like what? (laughs) And, and so we, we decided to go because again, we're very open-minded. We love studying about all different cultures and he had served his mission in France and of course there's new beaches everywhere and it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. So we decided to actually go to a new beach where we lived and we did. And that's actually what our, what got our temple recommends taken away for a few months. Hmm. Um, but the experience was so amazing because here we are, these bright white <laughs> <laughs> people and there's all these, I mean, the majority of them are like very, very overweight, super tan and probably mid fifties and sixties. <laughs> that's so funny. And, 
and they're out there playing volleyball. They're like, you guys want to come play? It was just, I mean, didn't just, just very friendly community. We went and played. And I remember there was a camera guy. There was a guy that was in a distance. He had peeked from behind a hill and had a camera and immediately two of the people, the first one being a woman started yelling and get out of here, get out of here. And one of the men started going toward him to, because it was a sacred space and they were, they were protecting us and them. And, and it was seriously one of the most life altering experiences. Yeah. You know, when, because I lived in Germany and you brought up France, you know, in Europe, their culture is, in fact, my husband and I were just talking about this, not that long ago, their culture is very open-minded about sex and about the physical body. And it is like, you're talking about, there's no shame around it. It just is, this is who we are. We were born naked into this world. And then we put on clothes and we cover up and, and we do all these pieces. And then we create this interesting dynamic. And when, when my husband and I were having this conversation, I was asking him, I would be curious to know the amount of divorce that happens because of adultery or pornography or the things compared to the United States, because I would bet it's a lot less. I would bet that I went to this retreat that was called um, sex experience. And it was, we dove into the shame around sex and our sexuality and our desires that most of us hide and suppress. And when we do that, it creates all sorts of shame and it's that lowest frequency. And what would happen, especially with our partners, if we allowed ourselves to be fully seen in these spaces and nine times out of 10, even just talking about this desire or this impulse or this thing that we feel like is wrong, just talking about it, all of a sudden it just clears it out. Like it's not even active anymore. And And yet we have created such a culture, especially within the Mormon church and really a lot of religions, but especially um, the Mormon church where with the Mormon garments and the covering up and the, you know, needing to be modest. And it's like, I love that you're sharing this. Like if we can teach our children and, and have that beautiful, um, there's no shame, even if I have cellulite and I'm a little overweight and I, I love that. It's like, it's mostly 50 and 60 year olds that are out there that are, you know, enjoying and living up life and just embracing and having that freedom of being seen fully. Like it, it is quite, it is quite beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. I think that's, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. I kind of wanted to share the after effects of that with the church and also my family members and yeah. stuff. Um, there was a huge flashback because I had my 18 year old sister and also my mission return missionary sister over um, they came to visit me while we were in li- living in Los Angeles, which is when this was all going down. I had gone through a miscarriage and I was having pretty severe postpartum depression on top of mm. um, everything. But but I, I was so excited because Dan was kind of deciphering between, okay, I've actually tried viewing pornography before, he said. And he said, it just makes me feel icky and off and a little dark and not a feeling that I want. But then he pulled up these pictures of these women there's like these nature pictures from the seventies where they're just like standing in the nude and just like looking up at nature and like holding a butterfly or a bird or, or whatever. And they're surrounded by nature. And he's like, when I look at these, I just, I feel total like respect and, and awe and honor, you Mm -hmm. know? And he said, I, there's a total contrast between these two things. Mm -hmm. And um, I was excited to share that too, because I was, I felt a little shame in looking at those, the nature pictures, and I have never, never seen any kind of pornography. Um, And I don't want to, but I I looked at those pictures and I was like, not wanting to look, but because I have always been bisexual, you know, I'm very attracted to women that way. And, and so I allowed myself to look at it and be like, yeah, like I feel reverence and honor too. It's beautiful. It really is. so anyway, I, I was so excited about this because I had felt the light and, and the peace that was flowing. And I knew many, many years later that yes, despite what all of my family and Bishop and everyone had said, look at the results that this has yielded. Like I have absolutely no body shame and I've taught my daughters that very strongly. Yeah. Um, but my 18 year old sister went home and told my mom, she was mm. terrified at what I had shared with her. <laughs> I probably yeah, shouldn't. Yeah, I her. bet. The alarm was were going off when I was sharing it with her. <laughs> mom, as usual, 
being concerned about her kid's eternal salvation, right. called my bishop and told him, will you just correct them in this? <laughs> and, and so here's our bishop. He's like 30, 30, 28 years old. Okay. Been married for quite a while, but no kids. And he calls us in and we tell him all that we've experienced. And he said, well, don't go to a nudist resort or beach again, or I'll have to take away your temple recommends. And Dan was like, well, we can't promise that because that's a personal decision between my wife and I and yeah. that we prayed about and that we received our answer. And so the bishop said, okay, well, I'm going to have to take away your recommends. So each week he would meet with us and say, okay, I need you to go home, study your scriptures and pray and come back and we'll see if, you know, you have not, he didn't say this part, the right answer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And each week that we went home and did this, the confirmation was stronger. It's Mm. like, yes, we know this right for our family. Interesting. And so that was my first experience of going completely against leadership, but knowing in my heart that God had directly spoken to me and said, yeah, it's the right thing. Mm. That's beautiful. I love that you're sharing these stories of like those pieces of, I know, I know what's true for me. Even if it goes against the church's standards, even if it goes against these pieces, it's like it is truth. And I have to honor that. I get to honor that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing. Is there anything else that you feel called to share before we, we end? Um, nope. Beautiful. Well, thank you. Like I said already, I just appreciate you and your vulnerability and courage and all these pieces of you that you have shared with us. It's it's really beautiful. So I appreciate you, Rachel. Thank you for saying yes. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks, Amanda. What a unique interview. And I didn't realize that she was still attending church. And I think it's beautiful to hear different experiences and, and really what feels like truth for anyone and everyone. I don't care who you are, what you're choosing, as long as it feels like truth to you and you're always questioning that and checking in. I think that it is absolutely beautiful and what a beautiful example of what that can look like. So if you are in the process of unwinding out of religion and looking for more tools, head over to Amazon and grab my book, Leaving Religion and Those We Leave Behind, or go to my website and pick up my Leaving Religion tools. These are some really beautiful tools to assist you in more of the unwinding process. And I will put both of those links down below. The tools is if you head to my website, amandajoyleveland.com forward slash leaving religion tools, you will find those there. And then again, just a reminder to to come. If you're feeling the call to join us for this in-body experience, we are closing the applications at the end of this month. So get your application in. If you are selected as one of the 13 people, then you get to check in and tune in to what feels in alignment to donate so that you can be a part of this experience. And so head over to my website, amandajoyleveland.com forward slash inbody. That's amandajoyleveland.com forward slash I-N-B-O-D-Y. And as always, wherever you are, sending you so much love. If you are feeling the call to be one of my guests, reach out to me and let's have a conversation. Have such a beautiful day. Beautiful day.